Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these SALT Talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which our guest today has been to many SALT conferences over the years. And we're excited to resume those conferences uh, with his presence, God willing, in September of 2021 here in New York City. But our goal is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to talk about some of those big ideas with one of our great friends, Dr. John Nigerian. Uh, John, or Dr. J, as he's affectionately known by many of his friends, uh, was a linebacker for, for the Chicago Bears before he turned to another kind of contact sport, maybe even higher contact, which was trading on the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. I became a member of the CBOE, NYSE, CME, and CBOT, and worked as a floor trader for some 25 years. Uh, today, John is a professional investor, money manager, and media analyst. He has earned reputation in the industry as an options trading expert and pioneer. Uh, he developed a patented trading application, or many patented trading applications and algorithms, uh, used to identify unusual activity in stocks, options, and futures markets. Uh, John can be seen weekly on CNBC, which if you watch uh, CNBC, I'm sure you've seen John's face plenty of times, where he's a cast member of the Halftime Report and Fast Money programs. Uh, John and his brother Pete invest in and work with startups via Rebellion Partners, a venture consulting firm they launched in 2015. And in 2016, John and Pete co-founded Market Rebellion, which is a company focused on educating the individual investor. Uh, joining today's show as moderator is Anthony Scaramucci, who's the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, which is a global alternative investment firm. Anthony, uh, many years ago, was a CNBC contributor and recently rejoined the network as a contributor. So we're excited to see him back on the network there, hopefully alongside John here in the near future. Uh, but with that, I'll turn it over to Anthony for the interview. John, I'm the Michael Corleone of CNBC, right? They thought they were getting rid of me, but I pulled myself back in. See that? So well, we had you. Uh, they're smart to do that, Anthony, because you're one of the brightest and uh, most active voices in finance. And I'm not just saying that. Uh, uh, anybody who's attended SALT knows that Anthony is a great moderator as well as a keynote speaker. And I'm thrilled to be here with you, Anthony. I can't oh, wait. There'll be, there'll be no Nigerian questions for Mr. Darcy. There'll be no questions for Mr. Nigerian. Just we're just going to let him continue. Just, yeah, exactly. I know he has an earpiece in, and my mom is talking to him. So, <laughs> Ma, thank you, thank you for channeling all that into John. I want to go off the grid here a little bit, if it's okay, sure. uh, because we had you on our Bitcoin review a few weeks ago. Obviously, it was spectacular, uh, and we're thrilled to have you on Salt, but. John, there's a way of life that you and Peter, uh, you have a joy de, de vie. You have a joy of life that uh, I've experienced uh, for a decade and a half. Uh, other people around you, have, I've experienced that. There's an aura about you of positivity. And uh, I want to I wanna go there. Where does this all come from? How do you generate it every day? Um, how do you deal with your worries and troubles? All human beings have those as well. Uh, give us a little bit of a sense for your personal philosophy, your personal background, your folks, you know, your mom and dad, et cetera. We'll, we'll get into investing in a second, but we have a lot of young people that listen to these things, and I want them to get the ethos of John Nigeria. Sure. Well, 
Anthony, thank you. I think any of us who have survived for years uh, on the street, as you and I have, um, although it seems to have taken more of a toll on me, Anthony, um, I think you some- You don't have my dermatologist, Nigerian, but then again, I don't have your physique, okay? <laughs> oh, come on. Um, I, physique, that is part of it. Um, not how you look, but how you feel. And you and I know you got to take care of yourself. Um, Wall Street, uh, you know, when you're at Goldman Sachs or, uh, you know, Pete and I traded for the partners at Goldman for years, when you're under pressure from things like that, or any of the myriad of uh, uh, great hedge fund managers, uh, it's not luck. Those guys are grinders. The men and women like Kathy Woods, uh, obviously fantastic. Five-year run, she's up 40% a year uh, on average. And people wanna say she's a flash in the pan, Anthony, but we both know it's grinding. And it also can grind you down because just like a football coach, Pete would say that, uh, you know, years ago, Bud Grant from the Vikings used to show up uh, not too long ahead of training camp. He didn't want a long training camp because he said, if you're not, if you don't show up ready to play, I don't want you. So he didn't figure that he had to get people into shape during training camp. But these days, Anthony, it's flipped 180 degrees. Um, not that they don't arrive in shape. They do. But it's a 365 day grind to be a pro athlete, to be a professional trader. Um, very similar in that regard. And you could spend all day watching film, just like you and I could spend all day on spreadsheets, whether it's fundamental analysis, technical analysis, whatever else. And then you're going to have a horrible life. You might have some fantastic returns here and there, but your life overall is not going to be great you're probably not going to be appreciated by your significant other or your children. Um, and so I think you and I have more or less made a decision that, okay, I'll grind hard and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to make sure I take care of my body. I'm going to make sure I'm there for my kids. And by doing those things, uh, even for the young traders out there, yeah, you do need to grind, but you don't have to make this the only reason that you're alive. Uh, the other reasons are very important too. And so, yeah, I get up at 5.30, I go out and I work out, Anthony, because I know it takes the stress off me. Um, I know I'm a better dad, a better husband by doing that. And I feel better. So I, I'm addicted to those endorphins. Uh, and I think all of us love the idea that we're just going to keep grinding uh, as long as we can. So, and I totally agree with you. I try to hit the gym regularly, um, although I'm Italian, so I end up eating too much pasta. I'm going to punch Darcy in the mouth. You know, let me tell you something about Darcy. He's right outside the door now. You know, when we were in to full COVID, okay, mm -hmm. he wasn't this close, okay? I just said I like eating pasta, and the expression on his face was, you fat bastard. That's basically- <laughs> This is projection, he, John. He's projecting his guys, own insecurities man, on I'm my facial you, expression. Jarian, these young guys, okay? We may do a Zoom wrestle, me and Darcy, okay? And I got a All lot right. of middle-aged rage, Darcy. Sounds like just, a pay-per-view. So just be careful there. So, 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 John, you've been racked. I've been walloped a few times. I got walloped at the White House. I took it down 24.7 month in March. 
of 2020. I got kicked in the teeth in 2008. I thought we were going to lose our business. Um, tell us about one of those experiences for John Nigerian, and how did you pull yourself together and how did you rebuild from a down period? Um, give us your thoughts there. Sure. Well, um, I try not to let it swing too wildly, Anthony, and I think, uh, you know, not to put myself on a pedestal with Leon Cooperman or Carl Icahn or some of the um, iconic figures in our industry. But I do like to celebrate and I'll say, bang, you know, when I have a good trade or whatever it is, um, because that's kind of my signature thing now. But I don't get so crazy about it um, that uh, it swings all the way over. The pendulum goes so far over that as soon as you have anything that's short of that, you're going to be negative. You're going to feel all that negative energy. So when I've had big losses, and I've had, um, you know, just like you have, uh, I've looked, uh, I mean, and by the way, this past week, um, I have two wallets, if you will, Anthony, for my Bitcoin or my crypto trading. One is uh, stuff that I've held since 2016 and 2017 without touching it, um, because I just want to put that away, hopefully just give those coins to my daughters or charity or whatever, um, but I just want to hold those. I'm a hodler for that. But then I have a bunch of other coins that I'm trading constantly. Now, this past week, um, we saw the crypto universe trade from a $2 trillion market cap down to $1.2 trillion in a matter of days, a 38% drop. And that includes Bitcoin. So if you take Bitcoin out of there, it was more like 60%. I mean, the drop in market cap was so dramatic that, you know, I don't want to focus on that uh, because that'll make me crazy. But I also... Um, whenever uh, you and I, when we've discussed Bitcoin, I always tell new newbies to Bitcoin, you don't have to buy a bunch, just buy it on dips. Um, this was a very significant dip. You got two shots in the last week to buy it right around between 32,000 and 30,000. Um, if you took them, congratulations. That means you're paying attention. And very quickly, you had a $10,000 uh, per Bitcoin profit in those kinds of purchases. On the other hand, if you let yourself get too focused on, oh my God, I'm just losing so much money. Number one, you're probably way too big in the position. We, Pete and I always called that, Anthony, you know, getting the blinders on like this. I can't see anything else. All I can see is this huge loss. So I'm missing all the stuff out here on the periphery. Um, you don't, that means you're too big. Um, you need to cut back your size, um, you know, uh, I apologize, folks, but another sporting analogy, we shorten up our swing. Uh, if I'm not hitting the ball right, I don't like put my hand down at the nub of the bat. I move it up because I just want to make contact. And that's what I did. So I'm not saying, oh, I doubled down down there at 30,000 or 32,000. I didn't, but I did add to positions down there and I traded out as it traded up to 38 and 39. Um, more or less, I think that's the way you're supposed to do it. But again, if you get too focused on the loss, just as if you get too focused on, wow, I made all this money, I'm going to buy a Ferrari, I'm going to buy a jet or whatever it might be, I'm going to buy a new watch. Um, 
most of us in this business that are successful, you don't see, Anthony, an awful lot of that kind of behavior. They just want to grind, be out there, make the money, and just say, nine times out of 10, um, I'm going to be in the right church. I might be in the wrong pew, but I'm going to be in the right church, whether that's tech and growth or whether that's value. Um, and I might occasionally be in the wrong stocks in that right church. So that's the wrong pew. I need to switch quick, quickly and get into the right pew. And that's what I try to do is just don't let the losers, you know, mess with my head or I don't let the losers dominate the performance I've got in my account. When I get to a certain level, um, just like Michael B. Jordan, um, I cut it without remorse. I like that new movie that he's starring in. And that's one of the things that I live by, Anthony, is I cut it without remorse just because it's not my kids. It's not my my life. I just need to move on to the next trade if it's not working. Yeah. So you're basically what you're talking about is you're you're trading with some level of emotional detachment. Right. No yes. remorse, no uh, love for the coin or hate for the coin. Just this is what I'm doing. It's right here inside of my field of vision. Um, what do you yeah. say to those? But you're also a fundamentalist. You're a fundamental investor. You, you look at things from a fun, fundamental perspective. What do you say to those that say Bitcoin has absolutely no value? What would be your response to that? Um, I think it's got tremendous value and the value is derived by its scarcity. Um, and again, this is something folks that Anthony knows far better than me. But when you're looking at assets, if I knew there were 50 Honus Wagner baseball cards instead of eight or seven, um, I'd put a whole different value on those cards um, because they do gather their value by their scarcity. Bitcoin, right now there's 18.6 million of them out there uh, in the wild. A bunch of them have been lost um, because, you know, some of them were used for nefarious purposes and people lost their wallets in other cases. Um, so not all 18.6 million Bitcoins are even in anything close to circulation. A bunch of them are in cold storage too. So again, uh, when people are looking around and looking for an asset that will appreciate, they tend to look for things uh, that there aren't that many of. Now, you've got something perhaps like, you know, some of the stocks in the market that, that have billions and billions of shares of stock. Does that mean they can't go up in value? Of course not. But that's a different animal. We're talking about, um, you know, like a trophy property. There's only a couple of them. Okay, so guess what they're worth right now? I mean, go down to Palm Beach and tell me what those mansions on the ocean go for now. You'd be shocked, folks. They're tearing down $30 million mansions and they're building $70 million mansions down there. Why? Because there's a limited amount of land and it's gathering its value by its scarcity. So uh, when I hear people say Bitcoin's worthless, um, I'm not saying it's currency. I'm saying it's an asset. Um, and it's certainly uh, in that DeFi or decentralized finance space. I think it's very important because it's almost a governor or a regulator on governmental spending. Because if they go too crazy, 
more money flows into Bitcoin uh, because people are worried that the government is making their money worth less. Again, as Warren Buffett said, not worthless, but worth less because they're printing so much of it, even if they don't actually add ink to paper. Let, let, let's switch topics for a second and talk about the equity markets. Um, your technical and fundamental analysis of the equity markets, what sectors do you like, John? Uh, is the market overheated? Do you think there's still value represented in the market today? Uh, what's your opinion there? I do think there's there's value. And I think, Anthony, an awful lot of the forward, um, you know, w- Wall Street tends to be a discounting mechanism. We're looking out so many months into the future, predicting what a company might earn, um, whether it's CarMax or whether it's Apple. And, you know, since used cars are really a focus right now, CarMax, probably a pretty good pick in that space. People just love Apple products. They're ubiquitous uh, and they make money on a reoccurring basis. It's not just, uh, you know, the Tim Cook testifying about the App Store and them getting a 30% take on something that they didn't make. Um, But uh, Apple will continue to thrive. And after this ruling comes out, even if they ended up paying a fine, I don't think the judge is going to take and throw out Apple's ability to regulate their app store and these in-app purchases and things like that, that Fortnite and all these folks would like to um, say that Apple doesn't deserve an extra little spiff for everything that happens in my game or whatever. And Apple says, fine, don't put it on my platform. Um, You know, there's no gun to your head. You don't have to be here. Just go over to Google Play. But then, of course, uh, all all these uh, iPhones beg uh, to differ with exactly that. I mean, whenever they compare Apple to Samsung, Anthony, I just shake my head because I think, well, Samsung's great. The phones are great. Android operating system is great. But uh, there are so many different levers that Tim Cook can pull uh, from the health to the app store to the cloud, um, all these different things that Apple can do uh, to make money from a product that they sell once and they keep getting reoccurring revenue from. Samsung, unfortunately for them, and no other real manufacturer that you or I know, gets that. And so uh, when I look at something like that, I say, uh, since you asked, okay, John, which sectors do you like? I still like tech. I still like growth. Um, I think that a lot of the uh, 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 things that are happening right now in the economy, I'm not blaming President Biden or Congress, but I'm saying if you're you're assuming that people can't do math, if they sit around and say, why should I go back to McDonald's uh, and work at a McDonald's and make $11.50 or even $15 an hour if I'm making $17 not working? Now, we both know that runs out in September, and 21 states, maybe more, have already ended their supplemental payments, um, and the people that need it really did need it. I think a lot of people that didn't need it, Anthony, also got it, but that's the nature of the beast. You know, When Anthony wants to give away his money through a charitable trust or anything else, it has a more direct impact than when the government, as you know much better than me, tries to give money away. So right now, Anthony, we've got uh, people that are sitting at home um, because they can do math, uh, because they're not stupid, and they'll probably stay there for the most part until close to September 
when these extra payments run out. It'll be really hard to drag them back in, and they'll probably start trickling back in in August, but certainly not now, not in May. Why would you? Well, I mean, I've had a debate with a lot of people about this. I definitely think there's a segment of the population doing that. You know, I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood, so and my cousins are doing anything from clamming, auto parts, auto glass, uh, pizzerias and delis, and they're having a hard time finding help. But what they are telling me is people are taking black market jobs. They're they're working. They're just not working in the economy. They're, yeah, they're taking cash. And so people say they're sitting at home. Yes, there's probably a small group of those people. But by and large, people are out there hustling. And they're like, well, I'm not going to take that full-time job until the VIG runs out on the government. So I do I do see yep. the issue. But trust me, those people are working, John. They're hustling. Oh, yeah. A lot of them are hustling. So let's go back to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, let's go back to Bitcoin for a sec. Um, will it will it be the apex predator in the space three, five, and 10 years from now? Or, or will something come into the digital asset curve that will overwhelm Bitcoin? Um, I think uh, Ethereum's well on its way to overwhelming Bitcoin, Anthony. So you think you think Ethereum will flip Bitcoin? Yep, not in price, um, but it's already um, where Bitcoin was last November as far as market cap. It got up to I think as high as four hundred and eighty or five hundred yeah, million. Yeah, it was almost a half. Yep, almost a yep. half a trillion dollars of market cap. Yep. Yep, and uh, so some people in the space call this a flippening when it would flip in market cap value higher than Bitcoin. It's just got a lot more uses. Bitcoin is something that, like I say, I think you want to own it, hold it, put it away, um, whether it's Max Kaiser or Pompliano or you know any of these folks, Tone Vase, Charlie Schramm, the Winklevoss twins, they'd all tell you just hold on to the Bitcoin. Um, and many of them, because not all of them are maximalists, meaning, of course, that they just focus on Bitcoin. Um, some of them are willing to trade those altcoins. And Ethereum seems to me to be one of the best out there because so many of these smart camp contracts are part of that ERC-20. You know, the, the Ethereum makes all those smart contracts possible. And, you know, to me, Anthony, smart contracts are... Uh, are just the future. I mean, literally imagine uh, that there's a smart contract created by, oh, I don't know, your favorite firm or one of your favorite firms, Morgan Stanley. And Morgan Stanley coin let people say the smart contract could be written such that the, the owner of the coin gets to dictate at what point they want money pulled out of their account and put over into fixed income. Once I get up to X amount, do this automatically. All those kinds of things, yeah, you could do it in other types of programming, but certainly with a smart contract, especially sports betting, online gaming and things like that, every time I have over $1,000, move it out off of my DraftKings account over here into this. Would that contract, that smart contract, be something people would like? Heck yeah, um, because it would discipline them a little. You'd probably even get... Gamblers Anonymous uh, saying that would be a good thing. But there are just so many different areas that Ethereum touches indirectly because it is, you know, it is the works behind those smart contracts. 
So, okay. It's, it's, you know, it's great. I mean, we, we, uh, we'll be launching an Ethereum fund soon. I, I, I love your opinion on it. We don't know the answer hundred percent, but I do believe that Ethereum is going to be a prominent, could it flip Bitcoin? You know, anything's possible, but I do think it's going to be a prominent uh, application and store value and potential currency certainly yeah. is on these NFTs. Um, do you think Elon Musk popped the Bitcoin bull market? Do you think he was a part of it? Do you think there was other things going on? Maybe too much leverage in the system? Well, you know, if you were analyzing the collapse, the move from 64,000 to 30,000, I guess as we're speaking now, it's about 38,000. Uh, what do you think the factors were? Yep, you're exactly right. I mean, Chinese government oversight, um, we had so much, you know, all the time, it seems that when you and I have shared time together on CNBC, Anthony, we talk about perfect storms. Um, and a perfect storm, you know, just like the book implied, was, you know, you get a low pressure system, and then you get this um, certain amount of uh, uh, moisture coming up from the Gulf or coming up from the Caribbean that hits this cold weather weather pattern and just causes this perfect storm where, you know, it's just Katie bar the door. Uh, that happened in Bitcoin. Musk was definitely part of it. China was part of it. Um, that over leverage you talk about. Last week, Anthony, we were checking out some of these stats. 800,000 people were liquidated out of their Bitcoin holdings last week. Um, that's a big number. Um, even if most of those accounts were $2,000 to $20,000. Um, and most of that, well, all of that liquidation, unless the, except for the self-liquidation, uh, except you know if somebody had the discipline to say, boom, I'm cutting, I'm running, I'm getting out. Liquidations that we're talking about, folks, are ones that are done by Deribit, done by Binance, done by Coinbase, done by anybody um, who has their money at risk because they let the customer um, get some leverage. And in the case of Deribit or Binance or um, some of these big FTX, Hubei, these offshore exchanges, Anthony, that you can really only access through a VPN, a virtual private network, you can get 100 to 1 leverage. So instead of owning one Bitcoin at, say, 45,000, um, somebody that has 45,000 in their account might own 10 Bitcoins, 20 Bitcoins, 50 Bitcoins uh, on the future side. And if that starts going against them, those liquidations happen at light speed. So what happened is we then broke from 45 to 40. Everybody was stacked up with short puts at that 40 and 39,000 strike. And then as those tumbled, the waterfall of liquidations just drove it to 30 like that. It's why it went so fast. So yeah, Elon, yeah, it all makes sense. And I've seen this happen over the 33 years I've been doing this. Yeah. But uh, where are we now? Is that leverage out of the system or you still think we're over levered in the, in the crypto space? I think we took most of that over leverage out of the system. Now, on the other hand, most of those people that uh, were liquidated, it wasn't all of their money, probably. Um, the Many of those exchanges, you know, just 
like I say, somebody put wires in 20,000 bucks or moves 20,000 in Bitcoin onto an offshore exchange, you're fair game, you're ready to trade. If once you lose that, you probably just reload and go back in with another 20,000 because you made so much money the last few times when you were able to catch the wave to the upside. Um, so do I think they took most of that bad leverage out of the system? I do. Um, I think comments like Elon's about green mining, um, a mutual friend of ours, Anthony, uh, Kevin O'Leary, wants to start a green mining council. Um, and obviously that would feed right into what Elon Musk uh, is focused on right now as well. Do I think that there is a value to that? Yes. Um, I think that, you know, green miners, whether it's hydro, solar, wind, um, those would be the cleanest ways to mine, of course. And anybody that has access to those in, in large enough amounts could be a significant player. And a lot of people, probably like Anthony's customers at Skybridge, a lot of them will probably want, if they're uh, endowments and things like that, they'll probably want green coins um, in their holdings. Um, so I think that's probably a good thing that Elon has focused in on. But I think he's also kind of playing around on the periphery of it, Anthony, with um, he's trying to get Doge started up. Uh, Doge, of course, was really just a couple IBM engineers that said, yeah, we can create a coin. And they did. Um, a lot of people can create coins. Some six or 7,000 of them are out there in the wild. Um, and Doge is a popular one uh, because of Elon primarily. Um, but I love trading Doge. I've still got a bunch of Doge here. Um, I sold most of it before he went on Saturday Night Live, Anthony. And then because I said that's a classic buy rumor, sell news. You know, as they say, there's nothing new under the sun. So buy rumor, sell news still works. Um, no triple bottoms still works. Um, breakouts to the upside or downside, support and resistance charts and what was support becomes resistance when you try to get back up through it and so forth. All that still works. So uh, right now I'm focused on uh, if Elon can sort of uh, stay a little quieter about crypto, um, if China's not constantly and Janet Yellen's not pounding the table about whether or not they should do away with crypto or not let miners and hash power if it moves from China, that's a good thing, by the way, I think, Anthony, the more miners that move out of China, the better. Um, and I'm sure they're looking for, you know, low cost of uh, execution, meaning electricity to cool those plants, those rigs and so forth. I think a lot of that's good that's happening right now. So we, we, we agree, um, which uh, sometimes the sparring isn't as much fun. That's why I have to turn my attention to John Darcy once in a while, <laughs> the Jerrion, because you and I agree on a lot of things. But I'm going to turn it over to John. Uh, he's always got uh, clever questions from the audience and his own questions. And uh, very, very grateful to have you on. Cool. And Darcy, if you're nicer to me, I'll buy you one of the Nigerian berets. Okay. Yeah. You got to be nicer to me well, on these salt talks. I, I got to so. send you some of these, Anthony, the Market Rebellion hats. See that? There you go. You see, we can get swag from the Nigerians. <laughs> I don't think you or I can pull off uh, the beret as well as, as the Nigerians. No, that's Anthony, true. But... I agree. I accept that. 
but uh, I might try to get one of those hoodies from you. But uh, yeah, John, it's a pleasure to have you on and, and have followed you for many years Thanks, in John. markets. And it's great that you know you were an early adopter uh, in the crypto space uh, and have helped us along our journey, frankly, in terms of adopting it. Uh, last year, we made our, our first big investment into the space. You talked about Ethereum and Bitcoin. I think it's a fascinating topic of conversation. You know, Bitcoin is obviously, as Anthony has said on CNBC before, the apex predator in the space in terms of market cap, in terms of the breadth of the network. But Ethereum is quickly catching up. In terms of DeFi, you talked about Dogecoin. There's there's DeFi tokens like Uniswap or SushiSwap. There's other blockchains that are aiming to compete with Ethereum like Cardano or, or Solana. Uh, what aspects of the crypto market are you most excited about and and using your skills in terms of analyzing order flow and technicals and as well as fundamental adoption? What aspects of that market are you most excited about right now? Well, and thank you, John. Great question. Um, just like with options, John, I'm really focused on volume and volatility, those two primarily. But given uh, the impact that influencers have, uh, it's doubtful that Elon Musk or anybody else could have as much impact on stocks as they have on crypto. Um, now, granted, if Elon is on a show smoking a joint, um, that could hurt that stock, his stock, Tesla. And it did. Uh, created a great buying opportunity down to 185. And that was before the five for one split. Um, but um, I, I think for the most part, uh, we monitor a lot of Reddit and social media. So I would say in this order, volume, volatility, and then social. And I'm counting both Reddit and Twitter primarily as social. And that's what we're looking at. We've got algorithms that are sitting there pulling from those um, and basically putting them on a uh, on a dial, something as easy as it's not red green, it's not like that kind of stuff, folks. But it's literally like, okay, you know, we're right in the middle right now. Now we're really pushing into bullish territory. There's a lot of bullish commentary, and it's matching up with volume and volatility. We're going to be long, whatever that is. Um, and the great thing about cryptos as well is they do trade 24 hours a day. So you can see that surge in volume and almost all the time, except around those liquidations, John, that surge in volume um, is telling you that whales or somebody big, you know, in Bitcoin speak, anybody that has a thousand Bitcoin or more, they call it a whale wallet. Um, right. And those people are probably active at that level when you're seeing volume pick up dramatically. In other words, if it goes from say, $150 million worth of trading in a 24-hour period, which isn't a lot in crypto land, to all of a sudden 500 million or nearly a billion in a 24-hour period, that ramp usually is a great tell as far as where that coin is going. So we're using that, and then we're monitoring those uh, Reddit and uh, tweets to see, and obviously, what we use as far as, it's not terribly complicated, John, but what we're doing is we're weighting the value of uh, the people that are tweeting and are, are posting on Reddit so that we don't give every post on Reddit or every you know bot on Twitter the same credence, the same uh, sway over our upside or downside bias. So when we're seeing 
a whole bunch of negative stuff um, or anything out of Elon, yeah, he's going to swing that needle. But if it's not Elon and it's just a bot with six followers on Twitter or just one post that's only posted eight times in the last uh, month on Reddit, yeah, we're probably not as interested. Um, and the algorithm more or less throws those away and is looking for the ones that are really, quote unquote, influencing price. Right. We saw a huge explosion in retail trading during COVID. There's some theories that, you know, maybe people that were into sports betting when sports shut down, they moved into to online gaming. People at Barstool were uh, potentially instrumental in that, Dave Portnoy. Uh, but you saw, you know, this massive explosion in retail trading. Somebody like Robin Hood uh, was a big part of that as well in terms of the gamification they provided uh, for young people to get get into trading and investing. Do you think that was a positive thing or are you concerned about some of the risk taking that that occurs now in markets? I know you guys at Market Rebellion and some of your previous endeavors have been very focused on risk management and education before you get people you know, diving headfirst, especially using leverage with things like options in markets. But what, what is your analysis of where we are right now in terms of market participation? Well, um, and I know you're not uh, dismissing those you know younger traders either, John. So this of course is not. It. Once it's upon not. a time, I was one of those bright-eyed younger traders until I got you know plenty of uh, expensive educations and markets. Well, I, I think it's great that we have so many of these. You know, uh, I forget how many. I think it was 12 million accounts were opened at Robinhood in the first quarter of 2020. I mean, just a crazy number. Those are new accounts, funded accounts. Crazy number. Nobody had ever seen that before. Not Schwab. Not uh, City, not uh, uh, E-Trade. You could put them all together. They never opened that many accounts in a quarter. Um, but uh, that does come with some risk that these folks, like you say, maybe they were hungry for a way to make some money. Um, maybe they were taking extraordinary risk that they really didn't understand. I mean, I'm looking at an article right now on CNBC talking about exactly what I just discussed with Anthony about Bitcoin traders using 101 leverage, driving wild swings in cryptocurrencies. Yeah, and they did the same thing in stocks last year. And they did the same thing this year in the likes of AMC or AMCX or GameStop, you know, the poster child for exactly what an army of young traders could do. But there's an awful lot of really uh, smart, thoughtful um, even if they are tra- taking on incredible risk, you know, they're basically saying go big or go home. Um, and if you and I didn't have what we already have, John, um, right now I am a singles and doubles hitter. That's what I go for because I don't need to swing for the fences. Um, I've, I've, you know, knock on wood, had a degree of success in my career. So singles and doubles. I just would like to just keep building the stack, if you will, um, rather than risking the whole stack. But if you're somebody who's 22 years old to 30 years old, and you've got you know just a little bit saved, and all of a sudden the government starts giving you 600 extra bucks a week to stay home on top of the unemployment that you're getting to stay home, all of a sudden you're saying, well, you know. What if I start using this? And what if I pull another 500 out of my savings every month and throw that in here? I could actually swing and see how, how good I am at following the markets and things like that. That gamification that you mentioned 
is something that I think made gave these traders um, a, a little of a leg up instead of it being such a difficult thing to understand. All of a sudden they said, well, all I really got to do is say, I think the stock's going up. I'm going to buy calls or I think the stock's going up. I'm going to sell these puts. And it works until they're over levered and the market makes that move against them and they get liquidated. Hopefully they pulled a lot of that money off the table. We know that the guy Roaring Kitty um, or Deep Effing Value um, <laughs> over in uh, GameStop, we know that he um, pulled an awful lot of that money off the table eventually, um, you know, 50, 60 million dollars. When you dangle that kind of potential out there in front of a bunch of young traders, um, they're going to get excited about it. And it's been good for trading. It's been good for the New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, and, you know, obviously Coinbase and all the crypto exchanges and Voyager, a firm that we're involved with, has just grown by leaps and bounds because of this interest in, you know, enhancing some of the returns that you can get from investing. Right. The last question I have for you, John, is around regulation. So we were talking before we went live about sort of the uh, the roller coaster that's t taken place in crypto markets over the last two weeks. Part of that was Elon Musk coming out and, and expressing concerns about the environmental impact of Bitcoin mining. Another piece of it was India potentially taking the next step towards banning Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and then China issuing its third crackdown on crypto uh, and taking it even a step further than its prior ban in 2017, basically outlined, outlawing Bitcoin mining, as well as basically trying to rid their entire financial system of any crypto asset transactions. In the US, you've seen some news in the last few weeks about the Biden administration maybe taking a more standoffish uh, tone as it relates to crypto activity. Are you concerned at all about uh, you know, any regulatory issues, whether it be with Bitcoin or you move down the spectrum to more of these altcoins, or you've seen a lot of you know, really rampant speculation uh, based purely on you know, social signals and things like that? Where do you see regulation shaking out as it relates to crypto? And, and what impact do you think it would have on Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the rest of the market? Um, another great question. Uh, the real part of that question that I'd like to unpack first, John, is that right now the U.S. still remains a leader um, in virtually every financial market. Now, what we wouldn't want to see is Bitcoin um, get pushed to all offshore exchanges. Uh, so I would hate to see uh, regulation come down so hard on Bitcoin that people just migrated to these VPNs, again, virtual private networks, and trade offshore. They will, though. Um, as long as the internet's there, Bitcoin will exist. And most of these cryptocurrencies will trade. You know, you could put in some really draconian measures like death sentences and things like that. Um, not in the United States, of course, but, you know, in jurisdictions where that kind of totalitarian regime could basically dictate, if you do this, you could die. Those kind of regulations, yeah, that's got teeth. And people would really have to decide if they want to make that risk. But if you just moved Bitcoin and Ethereum and uh, Stellar and EOS and Litecoin offshore in the United States, like you have with XRP, Ripple, Ripple doesn't trade here in the United States. Um, it doesn't because they're negotiating some sort of settlement, perhaps, with the U.S. government 
uh, or one of the regulators in the U.S. government. If you kick crypto, Ethereum, rather, Ripple still trades. And I guarantee you a lot of Americans own it and trade it, even though it doesn't trade here. So it's just one example of people will migrate um, to where they can trade these assets. And when you look at something like a Ripple that was 24 cents back in February and shot to nearly $2, um, and it's that was one of the top coins in the world at one point and came all the way back to there and now breaks back down below a buck again, um, you can't really stop it. Unless you stop access to the internet, you can't stop it. Could they put other draconian measures like um, they've already said, you know, if you trade over $10,000 in Bitcoin, the IRS is looking for you. I think most of us realize that the IRS is always looking at what we do. When I move money from a bank account here in the U.S. to either offshore or onshore exchanges, they're going to follow it. Um, so I'm not trying to play games with the IRS because I get audited pretty regularly anyway, John. I don't need more attention um, by trying to skirt some sort of rule about holding those cryptocurrencies and so forth. On the other hand, um, like I said, I would hate to see us lose our leadership role in the financial markets by doing something draconian to the trading of Bitcoin, which I think instead should be like a, the next great asset class. And that a lot of uh, people could certainly use it to hedge um, currency exposure. They, they could use it to hedge uh, you know, some of the uh, uh, risk assets that they'd like to hold on to, but they might like to hold on to them. I mean, as you know, you can already trade Apple in cryptocurrency. Um, you can trade a lot of big stocks, Tesla included, in cryptocurrency. They're denominated in those currencies and traded. It's the same Apple that you trade onshore. But the more that you push this stuff offshore, instead of bringing it here, um, the more that we uh, take down the U.S.'s leadership. And so that's something that I worry about and hopefully that we don't do. Well, we think with uh, with Gary Gensler at the helm of the SEC being enlightened about the digital asset space, having taught a blockchain course at MIT, we think that whatever the outcome is, it's going to be sensible. So, so we're looking forward to having more regulatory clarity. I think that's the final hurdle for even greater institutional adoption than we've already seen. But uh, Dr. J, uh, Mr. John Najarian, it's been great to have you on. Anthony, you have a final word for John before we let him go? Not really, actually. I mean, it was very comprehensive, John. I'm 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 super grateful for having you on, and oh, uh, we got to get you back to Salt, September 13th to the 15th at the Javits Center. Javits Center, 13th yeah. to 15th, folks, in person instead of Vegas in New York. Yeah, we had to bring uh, we had to bring it to New York this year for all those obvious reasons, John. But we'll we'll be back in Vegas. We just needed to uh, send a message to our great city. I like that. And uh, you're a great American for doing it, Anthony. Well, um, and a great New Yorker. Thank you. And I'll, and I'll, see, I'll see you soon. Uh, and uh, go ahead, John Darcy, close it out for us. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, also for tuning in to today's SALT Talk to learn more about a subject that obviously we have tremendous interest in, which is the digital asset space, as well as learning from uh, John about the way he analyzes markets. I think he's such a student of markets and so great about educating people around risk um, that 
as we talked about, this preponderance of, of trading and participation in financial markets is a great thing as long as people get the proper education. So make sure to check out a Market Rebellion, uh, where John and his brother Pete provide tremendous education around uh, understanding markets from all times, all types of different vantage points. But uh, you can access this episode as well as all of our previous Salt Talks episodes on our website at salt.org backslash talks and on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. We're also active on social media. Twitter uh, is where we're most active at Salt Conference is our handle. We're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook as well. And please spread the word about these Salt Talks. If you have still a skeptical uncle or, or grandmother or brother or sister who's, who's looking to learn more about crypto markets, uh, please pass along this conversation that we had uh, with John. On behalf, of, on behalf of Anthony and the entire Salt team, this is John Darcy signing off from today's Salt Talk. We hope to see you back here again soon. Thank you.